Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of Scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Worldview Wednesday here on the Brave Parenting Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kelly Newcomb. And I am your host and garage band roadie, Chelsea Hazel. Hello, Chelsea. How are you today? Oh, it is fantastic. Although it's 32 degrees right now, oh, Kelly. Oh, no, no, so. no. <laughs> I, you know, I usually say that this is fall. This is the most beautiful season ever, but 32 sounds like winter. <laughs> yeah, pretty much is. <laughs> yeah, so I'm recording from Texas. You're recording from Ohio. So hopefully wherever you're at, you're experiencing a beautiful season of fall. I. We may not have changing leaves right now like you do, Chelsea, but I guarantee you, we will not have that nasty white stuff falling from the sky in a couple months. Oh, man. <laughs> I could serenade you right now with a white Christmas, but I'm just not going to. It's too, <laughs> too early in the morning for that. Um, but no, it actually, this fall has been glorious. It has been beautiful. It looks like all of the trees are Moses's burning bush right now. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome i love it i do yeah. i do miss that a little bit but yeah I, it's yeah. it's not 32 it's yeah um like 60 or something right now here. you know what should we just <laughs> should we cut the call i mean should yeah. we just... <laughs> <laughs> let's just jump right into the headlines shall we okay. <laughs> so today we've got three headlines that you may have come across uh in the news recently we're just going to take a look at them biblically and just see what's going on and how we can think about these things through a biblical lens. So I'm going to kick it off. Our first headline reads, adult Happy Meals at McDonald's are pricey, shame-inducing boxes of nostalgia with a creepy toy to boot. <laughs> so this came out of the Chicago Tribune on October 7th, 2022. So perhaps you've heard that McDonald's is now offering an adult Happy Meal. So to quote their marketing, it's kind of offering that old childhood feeling of pure joy when you, offer, when you ordered a Happy Meal. So now, the article itself doesn't inform us of anything profound, but I do have to say that the writer was quite witty. He says, quote, if you're planning to buy one of these adult Happy Meals, I promise you will feel shame. You'll be embarrassed, <laughs> however briefly. Once you could order a Happy Meal on the assumption the person taking your order would figure that you were bringing it to a child. But to ask for one of those adult Happy Meals as an adult feels akin to requesting a price check on adult diapers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I imagine that, and that's really funny to me. I, I could not imagine going through the drive-thru and saying, can I have one of those adult Happy Meals, right? So I can see what he's saying there. He also says, actually, there is one other thing included with these adult Happy Meals, though it's more tangible. It's the promise of escape, the sensation of feeling young again, the pleasure of having a meal of one's own. Or if you're an adult, it's just a $10 box lunch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thinking biblically, I thought, you know, what does God say about, you know, the adult versus the child? And my mind immediately went to 1 Corinthians 13, which many of us know because they recite this at weddings a lot of times. And it says, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. 
I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So in the context of, of what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, he's actually, it seems like this may be like a weird thing to be saying, but he's talking about this um, to the church. These people really prize the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge and the gift of tongues. Well, my John MacArthur study Bible explains it like this. He says, Paul is stating that these gifts will come to an end when we in glory see God face to face and have full knowledge of the eternal new heavens and new earth. So just as a child grows into full understanding of life in the world, believers will also grow and come into full understanding to perfect knowledge. And those such gifts that these people were prizing at the time will just no longer be necessary. So the point really I wanted to make here is, you know, a child is meant to grow up and come to full knowledge of the world. But right now, like the world is hard. And so many people want to return to their childhood. They want to return to this age of innocence. They want to be a child again so they can play and eat and have fun without any responsibility. You know, uh, Chelsea, I think I told you this story, but a few weeks ago, I had in a meeting, I had a grown adult woman who I would say was probably in her late 20s. And she said to my 15-year-old son, why are you in such a hurry to be grown? Don't you know I would do anything to be a child again? I tell my mom all the time, I just want to go back inside her belly. And as I... <laughs> I'm shaking my head, y'all. Shaking my head. As I heard that, I was like, wow, I, I don't think I've ever thought that I wanted to go back into my mom's belly. <laughs> like that was mm-hmm. such an interesting statement to me. Like I definitely mm-hmm. hear people be like, oh, I just want to be a kid again, right? I don't want to pay rent. You know, I don't want to have to go to work every day. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that, um, I don't think it's normal necessarily, but I don't think I'm exaggerating to say this actually is a new phenomenon, especially for young adults. What we do see is a lot of young adults that are like 18 to 22 and they're staying home with mom and dad because they don't want to let go of their childhood. Some people call this like this extended childhood um, where, I mean, it's more and more common, especially compared to like, say, 40, 50 years ago, they're not leaving home at 18. Maybe that's because of college, but even not, um, they're staying, they're living there, maybe sometimes until they're like late 20s, 30s. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of that idea that, you know, they're living in the parents' basement. Um, whether you have a basement <laughs> or not, mm-hmm. we don't have basements here <laughs> in Texas. Um, but it's just that idea of staying with your parents so that you don't have to adult. Um, because being mm-hmm. adult, as Paul said, means that you have to put childish ways behind you. You have to put childish reasons behind you and, and act like a man, right? Act like this mm-hmm. responsible adult. And I think that's appropriate. I think um, the reason, one of the reasons why we see this growing trend of, and even businesses like McDonald's jumping on this is because we're allowing uh, mm-hmm. childish thoughts and childish ways to continue so long into an age um, that should be adulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought about this a little bit and I was like, well, would I order the Happy Meal? No, probably <laughs> not. No, no. Because it's, it's um, they're targeting my age group too. I'm only yeah. 29 and a few years. No. Um, <laughs> but then I thought about like, you know, when I took my kids to Harry Potter World and how I was you know, the kid in me quote kind of came out and I was so excited to go do all these things, you know, mm-hmm. and interact with the world and, 
you know, flick my wand and see water spit out of the wall and all that kind of stuff. And But I'm not going back to my childhood to experience the things that I've already experienced, right? Like, I kind of wanted to go and experience the things that I I didn't get to experience when I was a kid. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, McDonald's is now marketing this adult Happy Meal to help the adult who wants to feel like a child again and achieve it only if it's for a lunch hour. Uh, the other day I was at Sam's and I saw that Dunkaroos the other day were back. And then, the, of course, the new Hocus Pocus movie made specifically for this audience, um, the adult Happy Meal audience. But what do we do with verses like Proverbs 22:15 that talks about folly being bound up in the heart of a child? See, I don't know, Kelly, if it's possible to enjoy the benefits of childhood as an adult and not also suffer its consequences like mm. folly. Um, but I have to ask this question in the grand scheme of this wave of culture. Why on earth are we giving children the full knowledge of the world on social media, YouTube, and the Internet as a whole Why they're mm-hmm. still children? Yeah. We're expecting children to handle the very real, very hard adult world of the internet, and adults are buying Happy Meals. I mean, it's like a complete flip-flop of um, roles and responsibilities. Sadly, the innocent, ignorant, youthful mind is, it's a magnificent treasure, but unfortunately, it's being wasted with Mm. political drama world news um, of wars, fear, inciting headlines about climate and the competition and comparison of everyone around the the globe is way too much. That is an incredible burden for a child to bear. And unfortunately, the people who are supposed to protect kids and train them in the full knowledge of our Lord and Savior are buying Happy Meals. I mean... Yeah, I think you're right about the flip. It's funny. Yeah, we are absolutely giving child adult-like knowledge of what's going on in the world, which usually doesn't come until, you know, you're almost out of high school, college. Like, do you really understand what's going on in all the different countries and the dynamics of wars and all of that sort of stuff? But I mean, now with the internet, we give kids access to all of those headlines, ultimately. Yeah. And, And not just role news headlines. Like, I think my parents would probably watch, like, the news when I was young, and I would right. get glimpses of it. But you have to realize, like, what the kids have access to now. It's not just even news. I mean, the stuff that they watch on YouTube, I mean, and yeah, I don't know. It just it is so much. So that yeah. when they become adults, they've already had so much knowledge. They're just like, oh wait, can I go back to the innocence of being a kid? Right. So maybe right. if we didn't give them so much, and they actually did enjoy their childhood. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe. Maybe reverse. I mean, I don't think that the adult Happy Meal is um, really <laughs> that influential over <laughs> over this dynamic. I just think it's just one of the <laughs> signs of the times. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. you know the article really hits hits the point. They want to escape, you mm-hmm. know. And if it's hard for an adult and they want to escape, I cannot not imagine what it's like for a kid. Mm-hmm. You know. It's yeah. It's true. All right, so I'm going to take us into our second article, which kind of actually follows in the same vein. Um, Today, my first article is titled, Sarah Michelle Geller Likens Kids on Social Media to Getting Face Tattoos. This was from the Huffington Post, and quote, much like vampires, things you post online live forever. So it makes sense that Sarah Michelle Geller wants to slay any potential of her kids being haunted by the demons of their TikTok past. 
The former Buffy the Vampire Slayer star recently told Yahoo that she and husband Freddie Prince Jr. don't allow their kids to have social media accounts and barely let them look at the platforms. Geller then said in order to drive home the idea of permanence online, she told her daughter Charlotte, who's 13, and son Rocky, who's 10, to think of kids publishing social media posts as getting a Paw Patrol tattoo on your face at age 5. Because at that age, there's nothing better than Paw Patrol. But now that you're 10 and 13, you still have these tattoos on your face, and it's not even who you are anymore. Geller said she explained this to her kids because it's a very hard concept for young kids to grasp. Geller is well aware of how social media posts can go south. The actor had to issue an apology in 2018 when she posted a series of photos of herself in lingerie on Instagram as a reminder not to overeat during Thanksgiving. And although Geller said in her apology that she was trying to be humorous, many felt that the post was promoting diet culture, fat shaming, and could trigger people with an, or a disorder, an eating disorder. Well, here's to hoping that's not who Geller is anymore, end quote. So I thought it was a real shame that the author of this article decided to use the good advice Geller has for parents about kids and social media just to dig up her past, but then to stick it to her at the end in that last sentence. Um, I guess it really shows, you know, how spot on Geller is with her mm, advice. Nothing, yeah. uh, nothing goes away. Right. You know, we got a digital footprint, y'all. So this idea of permanence, it has always been something that Brave Parenting has tried to stress to parents. Digital footprints are not erasable or scrubbable. Um, if you check out one of our, was it last week's Worldview Wednesday, Kelly? The scrubbable Google scrubs? Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm, that was yeah. our last Worldview Wednesday. Yeah. Um. Geller also highlights the metamorphosis of childhood. Kids swing from one trend to another because that's what childhood is like. And to pigeonhole them, so to say, into a specific trend or mood or online community creates stagnation in childhood. And I really, let's just thread out that idea of community. A secular psychologist would even go so far as to say that adolescents use peer groups and community to define or shape who they are. And I can relate to that comment because when I was in high school, I hung out with all of the, you know, anti-establishment punk rebels, right? And so that's who I was. I had the bands, I had the ripped up jeans, I had all of it, right? Like, that's who I was. The spike bracelets, the blue hair, like. It's really hard to imagine that right now. I know. I know. My dad tried to throw away my shoes in a trash can and I had to go get them out because they were so awful. Like, you know, I used that group to define who I was. But when any kind of community or peer group under the sun exists online from the utmost evil to like the completely benign, adolescents can get stuck there because the fluidity of childhood that we all experienced as a kid, you know, us adults who didn't have technology when we were kids, that cannot be recreated online. And so you end up with the metaphorical face tattoo. Um, <clears throat> in the book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman, which I think everyone yes. should read, um, he shares how perplexing and odd he found it when a group of young British boys pledged fidelity to ISIS online. I think this is an, a, like a perfect example of boys getting stuck in a community that they don't belong in. They define themselves by this community, and then they uh, pledge allegiance to a cause that is literally devoted to pure evil. It is the metaphorical face tattoo. Parents, we are called to raise our kids in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord, not the knowledge and instruction of social media or technology or gaming or worldly ideologies. Yes, 
sometimes these things will eventually come, but first and foremost, they have to be raised and trained in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord. So, I mean, if you're sitting here and you're kind of listening to this and you're like, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, we should do that. We should raise our kids in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord. But you're like, I don't know where to begin. (laughs) Can I just suggest to you families who are listening, the New City Catechism, start catechizing your kids now. Don't wait. Start memorizing the Reformed Catechism because it trains you, parents, as you train your children. I have, for years as a homeschool mom, learned right alongside my kids as they taught them about God. I knew that I needed to teach them about God. I knew that I was not in the full knowledge of the Lord, but I knew that I had to do it. So I just learned right alongside with them as I did it, as I taught them, excuse me. Memorizing scripture and memorizing the questions and answers to the catechism is really the best filter that you can provide your kids for when they go out into the world. Kelly, what are your thoughts? Well, Chelsea, I think I understand what this means, but some people may not. And that word to catechize your children may even sound confusing or maybe even offensive to some people if they don't know what that is. Um, But it it is an important method of teaching. Um, So can you kind of flesh that out a little bit and give us a a more of a definition of what that actually means uh, to catechize and what that new city catechism looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, catechism is been, it's a long lost tradition, but um, Protestants used it for years, um, for generations, and it was once a very normal practice, especially in the education of children. Catechism is the process of instructing someone in the principles of Christian religion by means of question and answer. That's all it is. So um, it's typically using a a guidebook, you know, to go along with it. So for instance, listen to this question from the Heidelberg Catechism. Question. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid fully for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of evil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Or you could look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question one, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So I just, parents, can you imagine if if your kids had that memorized? Yeah. What it would how it would change the way they think about who they are, what Christ has done, um, what their purpose is in life. So many of these kids are searching for purpose and identity. Help them identify themselves as a Christian, as a saint, as a as a child of God. Um, but moreover than that, all of these answers refer back to scripture. So you can have amazing discussions with your kids after you read the verses referenced in the answers. Um, and of course, this is helping them build up a filter. So if you're interested in doing that, you could go over to Crossway and look up New City Catechism. You could send a screenshot of the book to a friend to see if another family would be interested. You could maybe even ask your youth pastor or Sunday school's director if you could host like an end of year catechism competition um, or start a family practice where all the family members are learning together. My husband, my kids, and I are super competitive. We can only pull, like play board games once a month because we have to like <laughs> recover <laughs> from that competition. 
Um, but when my kids were younger, I could have totally seen us doing something like this had I known about catechism. I didn't get to do this when they were little. Um, we're kind of doing it now. We did read through Kevin DeYoung's book, um, The Good News We Almost Forgot. On the Heidelberg Catechism, we read it um, once a week. My husband would read it to us, and it was just fantastic. It was such a great time together as a family. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm gonna do that still. Yeah, I'm gonna put a link to Kevin D. Young's book, the yeah, yeah, the good news we almost forgot. Um, we have that as well, and that is good. I did not do this with my kids when they were younger, but it is such a great practice, um, a great apologetic training. If you want to know, if you want your kids mm-hmm. to know why they believe what they believe or what they should believe, and um, this is it. This is how Absolutely. you. This is how Absolutely. you train them, and that so many kids grow up and they're like, well, I just kind of piggyback on my um, parents' faith. And I don't really know what I believe, right? They've not had any yeah. of this training. And really what it is, is if you've been to any church service and they've put a question on the screen and then everybody recites the answer, this mm-hmm. is what the catechism is. Um, yeah. I know a lot of churches has gone through and, and practiced that. So, so thank you for that. And I think that that is really great. Um, now in regards to the Sarah Michelle Geller article, I do think that it's a really brilliant analogy of the, t- of the face tattoo. Mm-hmm. My church just recently had like a, we call it a county fair, just a kind of big community event. And there's all these kids with face paints, but amazing face painting. Yeah. You know, the kind where you look like a tiger or you have like all this, you know, very elaborate face painting on. And I, and I literally thought to myself, now what if that was permanent? <laughs> what if you at, at six years old, you loved looking like a tiger so much that, you know, you made this permanent. And I, I literally thought straight of this article. And so it is, it's a very good analogy of the permanency of you, what you would do when you were young is just not you always. Mm-hmm. And uh, furthermore, you know, as always the case, I immediately go to kind of what I'm studying and learning and working through in my master's classes. And right now that's Ecclesiastes. And, you know, one central tenet of the book uh, of this book of wisdom is that there is a time and a place for everything. And also in my personal study of the book of Romans, you know, chapter nine, God's sovereignty over that time and place for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, our creator God has sovereign control over our lives and he can use any mistake and sin to still work for our good and his glory. But there is also human responsibility involved. We must use wisdom, not peer pressure, to discern what the correct time is for a certain activity under the sun. Mm-hmm. And where does that wisdom come from? Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So it's not as if wisdom on deciding when social media is appropriate, appropriate is this elusive thing that only a few people can grasp. <laughs> the research really is out there, and it's pretty conclusive that, at worst, such social media is really detrimental to children. At mm-hmm. best, I think it's neutral. But there's really no evidence to show that at young ages, it is beneficial, really, as a whole, parents, but especially, I speak to Christian parents, we need to pray about giving our children social media. We need to really seek wisdom. Um, we need to seek the child's long-term benefit, not just their immediate happiness. Okay. I know I sound like a broken record. I say this kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> but I think that, yeah. um, you know, instead of fearing the Lord and seeking his wisdom, right now we're living in um, a, an era of parenting where we're fearing our kids' emotions. 
Dude. We are fearing their sadness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're fearing that they might hate us. Mm -hmm. Or worse, we're we're fearing their social irrelevance. That Mm -hmm. that they won't have friends if they are not on these platforms. And making the determination to allow social media based on that is not wisdom. It is the Mm -hmm. fear of man. Mm. And that Bro, is Bro, you got to say that twice that it's so nasty. <laughs> it, so nasty. It, it, like I said, I know I sound like a broken record. I say this probably every single podcast, but it is we cannot fear man. We need to fear the Lord, seek his wisdom and not what our kids are going to say, how they're going to react. Um because you know, we've said this I think scripture too, Hosea 8:7, for when you sow the wind, you shall reap the whirlwind. So when you go into this without wisdom, without prayer, and you're just fearing what's going to potentially happen, you will reap the whirlwind. So, and I think, yeah, I think you're totally spot on with child development and the peer groups and how you can get pigeons whole. I think this is exactly where we find ourselves at this sort of cultural moment where we see transgenderism, um, mm-hmm. even radical groups, self-harming mm-hmm. groups, like you mentioned diet and eating disorder group. I mean, there's all these like little niches that you can just get stuck in and if you want a community somewhere to approve of your sin or to approve of whatever like ugly passion that you have you're going to find that there's going to be a community somewhere online um, that your child can find um, to validate themselves so Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. face tattoos at age five (laughs) don't do it just say no All right, so our final headline for today is going to be a little bit different, but I think we can apply this all in the same way. And it reads, parents are so wrong about teenage sleep and health. Now, this came out September 28th, 2022 at the Harvard Gazette. Gazette. All right, it says researchers surveyed parents and caregivers, finding that more than two-thirds believed the top Three most salient myths about sleep. I don't know. What do you think, Chelsea? Do you believe lies about sleep? I don't know. I'm not sure. Tell me what they are first, and so, I'll let yeah. you know. <laughs> so they say <laughs> caregivers and adolescents commonly turn to the internet and social media for guidance on topics of sleep. What? The internet and social media isn't always true? Wait, are you telling me I shouldn't Google answers? <laughs> <laughs> Although these platforms can be sources of evidence-based information, there's also a chance that misinformation can pro- proliferate on these platforms. It's, Gasp. it's profound. It's profound. Go figure. We actually need, we really need to be discerning when we're reading information online. Stop. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. All jokes aside, this, th- it does speak. And if sleep is just one of those things, I mean, if I kind of change hats and say, okay, I'm a pharmacist now. Um, let me tell you how many people like sleep meds. <laughs> it is just out of control. Everybody yeah. needs help with sleep and no one yeah, sleeps anymore. True. And it's, it's yeah. just a big thing. And so I yeah. think um, since it is such a big thing and I see it on the medical side, I feel like as a parent uh, and someone who obviously works in this arena of technology and stuff, I think there is definitely an intersection there. And so I think it's important for us to talk about training our kids to get good sleep. So anyway, here's, here's um, these myths. That, that they're believing. So here's three of them. Number one, going to bed and waking up late on the weekends is no big deal for adolescents as long as they get enough sleep during that time. 
So the author cites studies showing that varying sleep schedules, so that would be like sleeping four hours on weekdays, but then like 12 hours on the weekends, those kind of varying sleep schedules, can lower academic performance, risky behaviors such as excessive alcohol consumption um, can increase and increase mental health symptoms, right? So that's the first myth. Um, and I, I'm just going to say, I actually never thought about that, uh, the varying sleep schedules. So mm-hmm. I would say that mm-hmm. maybe I believed that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, if school starts later, ades- adolescents will stay up that much later. So they cite numerous studies showing that delayed middle and high school start times resulted in significantly more sleep with extended sleep in the morning and minimal impact on bedtimes. Um, so I actually hadn't even really thought about that. Um, so it's kind of the idea, like if you don't start school till nine, are you going to stay? Oh, no, I'm going to stay up until 2 a.m. But if you start school at seven, oh, no, no, no I'm only, you know, I, I'm going to go to bed at midnight. So it's that kind of idea. Um, mm-hmm. and I just kind of always had set bedtimes generally, like the whole house just kind of goes to sleep. So I don't know if this, if I believe that one. And then the third one is melatonin supplements are safe for adolescent because they are natural. So again, the pharmacist in me jumps in on this one, but they say longer term studies on its use are lacking, particularly when it comes to melatonin's effect on puberty and development. The content in melatonin supplements varies widely. Okay, so um, here's also what I can say is um, I have a lot of parents who are seeking sleep for their kids, like seeking melatonin. This is a very, very common thing. And um, to me, I always have to wonder what's going on behind the problem of your kids not sleeping. There's, mm-hmm. there's a routine issue. Um, there's a screen time issue. Um, there, there's an anxiety, there's a problem, there's something else going on. Right. And of course our easy answer in our culture today is, Hey, let's just take a medicine and we'll we'll go to sleep. Let's just give it to Mm -hmm. our kids. So that's Mm -hmm. definitely something to think about, but that's not my focus here. So, well, it may seem like this is sort of a cut and dry, um, doesn't really affect my worldview. I'd like to offer that there is always, always, always space for us as parents to humble ourselves and admit that we don't know everything. Like I said, I kind of believe two of these myths uh, straight out. Even more than that, I confess that I've actually, I'm really indifferent, you know, about my kids' sleep. Now I have two homeschool, high school kids, and then um, one who is in um, public school, um, but has a really great routine and and manages sleep just fine. Um, So I do let them set their own schedules. But again, they're, you know, 15 and 16. Um, And I do let them sleep in as they please on the weekends. If they sleep till 11 or noon, you know, I never really, I never thought about it. So um, it's definitely a, a good uh, way for me even to look at this. But I know that some parents have the complete opposite of my situation. Their kids are staying up super late. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they're doing homework. Maybe they're video gaming because they've got a console in their room or their phones are not taken up and they're on social media. Um, they're waking up really early for school. They're not getting nearly enough rest. And why this is so, so important is because recent studies have shown that the lack of sleep has actually been shown to be a predominant risk factor in adolescent depression. Uh And as we all know, we are in a massive adolescent health, mental health crisis. You know, why are kids so depressed? That's what everybody wants to know. Well, one reason can definitely be lack of sleep. So when we talk about training 
our kids up in the way that they should go, modeling healthy living, healthy sleep is a huge part of that. We should be modeling healthy sleep rhythms, I think, and healthy sleep habits, such as not watching television right before bed. Um, Maybe that means that we as parents or adults don't have a TV in our room if we're not letting our kids have a TV in their room. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not scrolling on our phones or or video gaming. You know, we're, we're just setting those basic good examples um, of, of getting healthy sleep and going to sleep at a healthy time. Ultimately, I believe that for most people, though, I think it's a matter of prioritizing what activities you are doing. Um, Psalm 127, which is one of my favorite Psalms, and Psalm 127 too says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, and eat the bread of painful labors, for he has given to his beloved even in his sleep. Now, mm-hmm. anyone who knows me knows that this is so convicting <laughs> to no. me. It is. You don't even know what she does to me. No. <laughs> I, so full <laughs> confession, like when you have like icebreaker, you know, type things. And if someone is asked like, oh, if you could be a superhero, what would be your superpower? <laughs> For I'm years, shaking my head again, y'all. For, you just see this video. I'm for, shaking my head. For years, I have always said that I wouldn't need sleep. Like, <laughs> I would just love to just keep being productive. I have a million things in this world that I just want to do. Like, I love, I love achieving things, checking things off my list. I just love it. And so, <laughs> I know I'm very like people are like, oh, I love sleep, and I'm like, meh. I mean, <laughs> I get it, and I'm actually getting much better. The older that I get, I don't know, I guess that's age. (laughs) But like in my 20s, I can probably tell you that I probably got like four to six hours of sleep every night. And I was fine with that, right? So anyway, so this verse of Psalm 127 is very convicting because the Lord gives even in your sleep, right? So it is vain to rise up early, retire late, and eat the bread of painful labors, um, so this is just a very important, like God, this is important to God because he too talks about sleep. So I, um, when I think about the priorities that I had just mentioned, this, um, making sleep is really a gift to yourself. Making it a priority is a gift to yourself. It just takes discipline. And I think it's a perfect time to drop one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. So before I, before I <laughs> get your opinion, Chelsea, on this, so this is C.S. Lewis and he says, quote, Our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Therefore, it is a serious matter to choose wholesome recreations. That's so good. So it's good. so good. So good. Yeah. So this quote or this, um, this, uh, our news article kind of makes me, you know, one of the first questions I ask is, well, like, does God care about our physical health? And, you know, you gave us that fantastic verse from Psalm 127. Um, he, he does, you know, sleep, the, the idea of sleep, the concept of sleep, the <clears throat> it's, it's in the Bible. I also thought of Psalm 23, the first, um, two verses, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down at pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. But that idea of he makes me lie down, you know, we are not energizer bunnies, Kel, despite <laughs> what you would like to believe about yourself. <laughs> 
I feel so attacked. I know. <laughs> I deserve it. I do. I totally admit it. But yeah, I think, you know, the, the idea is, you know, the question we should ask ourselves is, well, what does God say about this? You know, is this, are these just secular studies that are trying to kind of help us understand general revelation? Or is there something about this that we should ask God? You know, what does he say about our physical bodies? And I don't think I knew this until I went back to school and got my degree, but historic Christianity recognizes that a, a dichotomous view of man, that we are both spirit and or soul and body. And on my intake forms as a counselor, some of the very first questions I ask about are physical health. Um, one of the questions I ask is, how many hours of sleep do you get each night? Um, do you eat healthy? How much time do you spend exercising? When was your last physical? Because we believe in the dichotomy of man. He's both physical and spiritual. Mm -hmm. And since all things are from him and through him and to him, we really do have to take care of our physical bodies because God has something to say about those bodies. He did create us. He did knit us in our mother's womb. He did fashion us together. Um, and I think probably for anyone who's listening who's <clears throat> ever been a new mom, you you know this for sure. When you're recovering um, after labor or you just get a new baby, your physical body is made up of like readjusting hormones, sleep deprivation, intense physical healing, and all of those things put pressure on your heart. Now, I am not saying that they make her sin, but they do put an enormous amount of pressure on her and can influence her choice to sin. You know, as best we can, we should help her in these situations. We should help her take care of her body because it can be used as an act of worship. Um, <clears throat> I also think of Romans um, 12, where Paul says that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And then in 1 Timothy, um, Paul, he shows deep concern with Timothy's stomach troubles and tells him that he, should, he too should be concerned. Um, I've also heard it argue that in James, um, in James chapter 5, verse 15, there's a sick man who should be anointed and prayed over. And this application of oil was actually medicinal rather than sacramental. The word aliopsantes means anoint. And it's not the um, usual word for sacramental or ritualistic anointing. If James wanted to imply that, he could have used the word creo um, if he had wanted sacramental or ritualistic anointing. But all that to say is we really should care about our physical bodies and our kids' physical bodies. But you know what? I mean, we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing, right? Um, it's hard to balance mm -hmm. how much time we spend on our bodies and our hearts. And you made such an excellent point, Kelly, about the lack of time spent in God's word when our priorities are out of alignment with the first and second greatest commandment. You know, um, we can take something like getting a good night's sleep and then make it an ultimate thing like self-care um, and abandon all responsibilities all roles, anything that we should do in order to achieve that good night's sleep. Um, I mean, self-care is like a podcast in itself, is yeah. it not? Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. But I mean, keeping our kids on a good sleep schedule, right? That's mm -hmm. a perfect way to glorify God mm -hmm. and take care of them. Yeah. Um, but it does mean prioritizing. And this is where it gets really hard because this is not normal in American culture, right? This is where it gets a little uncomfortable because it might mean less sports. Or seasons of no sports. It might mean less TV at night or no phones after 6 p.m., right? There's these things that really please our flesh. And um, and it's always interesting that something crucial like sleep, which is necessary for development, growth, and the overall and overall health of our kids gets pushed to the back burner by these things that please our flesh. Um, things that are good, but 
can ultimately be made into mm-hmm. an idol, an ultimate thing that our heart seeks and desires instead of glorifying the Lord. Yeah. What yeah. About? Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. Making those decisions to maybe not have a certain sport when the practice is going to go until 9 p.m. and you have yeah. you know, like a seven-year-old or something like that. I mean, they, it, that can be a really hard decision. And the world's going to tell you, what? No, you just do it. <laughs> you know, right. Right. but I mean, I think, I think we had eight o'clock bedtimes for our, when we had elementary school kids. Um, oh. I think all the way through eight o'clock. Yeah. I'm pretty positive. Yeah. And there definitely was kids out there who were still doing sports and still doing mm-hmm. activities. And that mm-hmm. sun was still up in that sky, you know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, and I know. it, yeah. but teaching that is at young ages, man, it's, it's crucial. It is crucial. I know that there's some uh, line of thought that just says, you know, kids will sleep when they want to. So just let them, let them fall asleep whenever they're tired. I don't, I, when we talk about training kids out of the way that you go, sleep is just one of those things we should yeah. be pretty hard and fast about. Um, it's a discipline and it, it, it trains them to be, in, to understand why exercise is discipline. Eating healthy is discipline. They're taking care of our physical bodies is one of those ways that we discipline ourselves. And it's crucial. Absolutely. It's yeah, crucial. Because there's no neutral ground. Even in sleep, there's no neutral That's ground. Right. That's right. Yeah. And it helps, I think, also develop spiritual disciplines. When we can do physical Absolutely. disciplines, um, the spiritual disciplines, such as having time for prayer, having time for God's word, having time for mm-hmm. worship, all of that flows from having that good discipline established when we were when we were kids, going yeah, to bed at certain was, times. Uh, what is it, in First Timothy, where he's like, um, physical training is good, but spiritual discipline is yeah. even better. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So... So I don't know if you believe those myths, but there you go. There's a headline, always a way to, to think about something in the news and just process that through God's word. And, you know, what does God have to say about sleep? What does God have to say about happy meals? I'm just kidding. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think that was in the Bible. I don't, but. I don't think, he's, I don't think <laughs> I don't he has that in there. But. <laughs> anyway, y'all, thank you so much. Thanks, Chelsea, for Absolutely. insight and and healthy criticism of my sleep schedule. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. We only record oh, this dear, at 530 me. in the morning. It's no big deal. <laughs> Y'all, you do not even know. <laughs> so I hope that you gleaned something good from this episode. If you have any ideas for podcasts in the future, we would love to hear them. Any questions, feel free, feel free to email us at podcast at braveparenting.net. We'll be back in another two weeks for a Worldview Wednesday. And until then, go and be brave.